Greetings and salutations, podcast listeners. This is a very special episode of Legal Work, a legal informative podcast that aims to help educate young adults who may be misinformed about how the law works. This episode is about drug, alcohol, and trespassing charges and violations and other issues young adults typically face in concordance with Halloween and more specifically the Halloween hike on Hillsborough Street. The Halloween hike is an annual tradition where students bar hop from one end of Hillsborough Street to the other. As is common when large amounts of alcohol are consumed by youngins like us, stuff can get a little crazy. If you've ever been curious about what a DUI really means for your driving record or whether or not you'll be put on a sex offender registry for peeing in public in North Carolina, listen up because I've got some really good information for you. Happy Halloween. Be safe tonight. Don't take drinks from strangers and don't drink and drive. If you have a pressing legal concern, you should contact a lawyer. But if you're just curious about how a specific aspect of the law works and you'd like us to address it on legal work, please email your topics to podcast at wknc.org. For this week's episode, I sat down with attorney Michael Avery of University Student Legal Services at North Carolina State University. He walked me through the different charges involved and associated with marijuana, alcohol, trespassing, public urination, and public acts of intoxication. For a full listing of Legal Works episodes, go to the iTunes store and search Legal Work. For a limited offering of our podcast episodes, you can go to soundcloud.com slash WKNC881. Enjoy listening. What happens if you're caught drinking underage in Raleigh by police or the ALE? Regardless of whether it's ALE, ABC, Raleigh Police Department, there's a wide variety of different uh, law enforcement agencies here in in Wake County. But um, if you're caught drinking underage, uh, consumption or possession, and possession also includes constructive possession, so within arm's reach of an alcoholic beverage. So even if you're sitting at the same table as someone with a drink? If they don't lay claim to it, yeah, it could happen. So it's a class three misdemeanor for um, people that are 19 or 20. Uh, Anybody who's 18 or under, it is a class one misdemeanor. What's the difference between the different misdemeanor classes? The different classes means that there would be a different punishment. So for a class three misdemeanor, assuming the person doesn't have a significant criminal record, it's probably only going to be a fine of no more than $200. If it's a class one misdemeanor, again, assuming the person doesn't have a vast criminal record, the fine can be left in an amount left to the discretion of the court. And it can also include community service. Jail time usually isn't on the table for these things unless, again, the person has a pretty significant criminal record. So class one is worse than class three? Yes, we have four classes in North Carolina, four classes of misdemeanors, uh, A1 being the worst, like misdemeanor child abuse, class one, class two, class three. So class three is the very bottom of the barrel of criminal offenses in North Carolina. Can getting a misdemeanor affect your driving record? Well, certain offenses, certain alcohol offenses will result in the um, one-year loss of your driving privilege if you're convicted. Uh, Those would include the underage purchase of alcohol or the attempt to purchase alcohol, aiding and abetting the underage purchase of alcohol, fraudulent use of identification like a fake ID, and giving alcohol to somebody underage, under the age of 21. Uh, If you're convicted of any one of those offenses, a one-year revocation of your driving privilege. Do you see a lot of cases with students involved in fake IDs? A tremendous amount of cases of students involving fake IDs. And in fact, lately we have seen a spike in them. Aside from the criminal ramifications, we are concerned about identity fraud. Because in order to get these fake IDs, these students are actually giving over their photograph, their signature, their names, and a credit card. Makes you very, an easy target for identity fraud. So um, don't do it. 
Are there legal ramifications for being intoxicated and disorderly in public? Yes. Um, it is not against the law to be drunk in public in North Carolina. You can be as drunk as you want, assuming you're of age in public, but you cannot be intoxicated and block traffic, sidewalk, or an entrance to a building. You can't grab, shove, push, fight, or challenge others to fight. You can't curse shout or rudely insult others, even though that's questionable as to whether or not you have a defense with the First Amendment and you can't beg for money. Now, granted, with your First Amendment, they can limit those rights as far as place and time. So if you're out there the middle of the night shouting, they can certainly stop you from doing that. But, you know, if you were cursing, say, in the middle of the day, there's a question as to whether or not they can actually stop you from doing that. And the university has a a corresponding policy as well called Howl for Help, um, which provides that no student seeking medical treatment for an alcohol or other drug overdose will be charged with specific violations of the Code of Student Conduct related to the possession and or consumption of alcoholic beverages or any other drug. And this also applies to students seeking help for the intoxicated student. Can you use alcoholism as a defense for being drunk and disorderly? For intoxicated and disruptive, it is. Alcoholism is a defense to that charge. So if you can prove to the court that you are an alcoholic, you may be able to get away with that charge. I haven't ever seen it used, but that's what the law says. So what's the difference between a misdemeanor and a felony? Well, um, it's going to be the the punishments that you can be given. Um, Typically, most misdemeanor offenses, uh, jail time is not likely a possibility. Uh, With felonies, certainly they are. Once you get into that felony area, there is likely going to be a term of imprisonment that you could be subjected to if convicted. Do you see a lot of students charged for marijuana? I wouldn't say it's in accordance with the hike. We just see it. You know, (laughs) we see a fair amount of marijuana possession charges. Most of them are misdemeanor possession charges. Um, We'll also see the corresponding possession of marijuana paraphernalia. What we need students to be aware of is um, even though it's a misdemeanor offense, and for most cases, if it's less than a half ounce of marijuana, and we're talking about the plant, not uh, derivatives. So if it's Mm -hmm. something like a resin, like hashish, the weight is different. But if it's less than a half ounce of the plant, it's a class three misdemeanor, which means likely only a fine of up to $200. But there is a federal law that's triggered. And if you are convicted of possession of marijuana, you will lose all federal funding to financial aid, both loans and, and say Pell Grants, things like that. Any federally backed financial aid. So that's something that our students need to be aware of. They count, they count it differently. It all depends on what you have. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, the statutes will specifically tell you what the weights that are allowable are. And the, the statute for anybody who wants to look it up is uh, Section 90-95. And you'll find it all in there, the North Carolina General Statutes. So can you receive multiple charges if you have the plant as well as paraphernalia? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. See it quite often. So you can get charged with possess marijuana paraphernalia, which is a class three misdemeanor. It is a lesser offense of possess drug paraphernalia, which used to be the only paraphernalia charge we had. So it was any kind of drug paraphernalia. We've now changed our laws to where we have this marijuana paraphernalia charge. It's a class three misdemeanor, but you certainly can get charged with both. If you're charged just with marijuana paraphernalia, though, you will not trigger that federal law that causes you to lose your federally backed financial aid. If you get the marijuana possession, that's common. Like clean paraphernalia is not, you know, if if somebody had bought some paraphernalia and it was not used, Mm -hmm. then there's an argument that You know, it's not marijuana paraphernalia, but once there is some kind of residue, some resin in there, 
It's marijuana paraphernalia. If a police officer suspects you of being high in public, do they have any right to search you? Well, an officer where there's reasonable suspicion to believe that a crime has been committed, an officer does have the right to do what we call a Terry pat-down search. It's just a a pat-down of the person searching for, um, you know, weapons to make sure the officer is safe. If the officer feels something that feels like contraband, the officer can actually get that contraband. So if they feel a baggie or a Mm -hmm. pipe or some kind of paraphernalia, then they can dig further. Do you see a lot of cases where students obstruct police officers while intoxicated? It happens. It's not something that we see um, often, you know, resisting a public officer. We don't see it that often, but it, it certainly does happen. And usually it's in combination with drugs or alcohol, most likely alcohol. So if that were to happen, would you go to jail immediately? They can. I mean, they could, they could take you downtown to the detention center and um, and book you, fingerprints, mugshot and all that. And then you'd have to make a, a bail appearance. Bail could be waived, but mm-hmm. um, you'd be going yeah. through all of that process, which is not going to be pleasant. And then your face is going to appear on those mugshot <laughs> websites and things like that. You know, definitely not something to write home to mom about. <laughs> yeah, at that level, they, they can decide whether or not they want to book somebody. But usually when it's a like a resisting type charge, they're going to do it. So what constitutes trespassing? Well, trespassing is um, is being in a place without authorization. Um, we've got two levels of trespassing. There's first degree and second degree. First degree is typically where you enter into a building of another or you enter into an area that's so clearly marked that you're not supposed to be there, like a place that's fenced off. Typically where we see this is like construction sites. Then we have secondary trespassing, which is probably the one that we see more often. And that's going to be when you've been told not to enter a place or where there's signs that say you're not allowed to enter here, but um, and you do it anyways. But th- that's probably the one that we see most commonly. Both of these are misdemeanor offenses. Um, a second degree is a class three misdemeanor. A first degree is a class two misdemeanor. Are there any areas you frequently see students get in trouble for trespassing in? Construction sites. <laughs> Construction sites seem to be popular. And parks, parks after hours. What are the consequences for stealing roadway or construction signs? Well, we would still classify it as uh, as larceny. So um, if the larceny is under $1,000, then it's a misdemeanor offense. If it's more than $1,000, then it is an actual felony. Don't steal the sign. Don't steal signs. Don't steal the signs. What are the consequences for defacing public property? It is a class one misdemeanor. Basically, our law provides that it's unlawful to write, scribble, mark, paint, deface real property, a public building, tombstones or monuments uh, and statues in, in public places. It's a minimum $500 fine and 24 hours of community service. If you've got two or more prior convictions, it's elevated to a class H felony. So felonies are categorized by letters then? Like A is murder. So this is kind of the bottom of of our felony area. What are some violations to the Raleigh City Code that you frequently see students involved in? Well, we see the open container of alcohol on a city street sidewalk. Uh, We want students to be aware of, um, and usually this is done with good intentions and not realizing that they're Mm going to be in trouble, but... Where we see a problem is people being on like the party bus and they want to throw away an empty container. Mm -hmm. And as soon as they step foot off that bus and onto the sidewalk with that open container, that's when they get hit. You know, sometimes we'll also see it where people will be at a nightclub or a bar and there's an outdoor patio Mm -hmm. and, you know, the crowd gets a little bit bigger and gets pushed out onto the sidewalk. And as soon as you step foot onto that sidewalk, that's when you can get hit with this. Now, offenses, violations of the Raleigh City Code or any other ordinance in North Carolina is going to be classified as a class three misdemeanor unless the ordinance says otherwise. 
But for these offenses, the, the open container, it is a class three misdemeanor, a fine of no more than $50. Yes, you are allowed to drink on the party bus, uh, but you can't take the container off the bus unless somehow you magically transport yourself from the party bus to a private place. <laughs> you step foot on that sidewalk, that street or anything owned, occupied or regulated by the, the city, you're, <laughs> you're going to be in trouble. What if you're in a car with an open container? Well, that, that's a different law. There's, there's a North Carolina law that actually specifically states that um, you can't have an open container within the passenger area of a vehicle. It's a class two misdemeanor. If you've had more than one conviction, you will actually lose your license as a result of this as well. Do you see students get in trouble for things like urinating in public or sleeping in a park? Well, I don't see them do it. But <laughs> I do see their tickets. And actually, yeah, this is one that we expect to see more of as a result of the Halloween hike. Some people just aren't uh, familiar with this. This is a Raleigh city code. So outside of Raleigh, this may not be illegal. Mm-hmm. All right. But within the city of Raleigh, it is unlawful to um, urinate in public. Again, another class three misdemeanor, a $50 fine. And there are certain parks uh, that you can't sleep in, rest in, trespass. Uh, that would include Around here, at least, Nash Square, Moore Square, the Transit uh, Transfer Center, and the Fayetteville Street Mall. So don't, yeah, don't, don't pass out there. Don't do that. Get home. If Call you, an Uber. If you urinate in public and are caught, is it possible that you'll be added to a sex offender registry in North Carolina? No, no, this is not a registerable offense. Uh, people think that it is. It's, it's not. It, it is not. Could you go over the differences between um, criminal and civil fines for the nuisance party violation? Certainly, certainly. So a nuisance party is a party or social gathering that results in conditions that annoy, injure, or endanger the safety, health, comfort, or repose of the neighboring residents. Basically, if the police can hear you from the sidewalk inside your house after 11 o'clock, they're going to classify that as a nuisance party. The officer has the discretion whether or not to charge it as a civil offense or or a criminal offense. It's just completely within the officer's discretion. So so be, be cooperative and you're likely to get a civil version. If you're not cooperative, that increases the chance that you would get a, a criminal charge. If it's a civil violation, um, it's just a $100 fine for the first offense. If there's been more than one offense in the last 12 months, it's a $300 fine. If you're charged criminally, it's punishable by imprisonment not to exceed 30 days and or by a fine not to exceed $500. Also realize that regardless of whether it's civil or criminal, there is a law in North Carolina that says that a landlord can't evict if there is criminal activity that takes place on the premises. Since a party could be charged civilly or criminally, the landlord could use that as a justification to evict. For more legal information about housing issues, please go to wknc.podcasts.tumblr.com and look for Episode 5 of Legal Work, Landlord and Tenant Rights. And that happens, call Student Legal Services. So are Good Samaritan laws nationally recognized? No, this is a state law in North Carolina. I can't speak for other states, but it mm-hmm. seems to be kind of the way that, that just culturally we are progressing. We don't want to be in a situation where somebody is afraid to call for help because another person is, is overdosing on drugs or alcohol. Mm-hmm. What you'd have in the past is people would just leave them there or maybe put them in a cab and just send them away, but they wouldn't call mm-hmm. emergency services. So this is a way to encourage people to call emergency services when someone is overdosing from drugs or alcohol and um, 
the caller and the person who is overdosing will be protected from uh, criminal charges if they satisfy what they need to satisfy in order to get this. Basically, um, so there's no prosecution for possession or consumption of alcohol. If the person sought medical assistance for an individual experience and experiencing an alcohol-related overdose by contacting emergency services, the person acted in good faith when seeking medical assistance upon a reasonable belief that he or she was the first to call for assistance. The person provided his or her own name, and this is probably the one where we you know, have a problem because sometimes they want to remain anonymous. You have to give your name. The person did not seek the medical assistance during the course of the execution of an arrest warrant, search warrant, or other lawful search. So if the cops show up and then you say, hey, my friend here is overdosing, it's too late. We have the one for drugs as well, so there's no prosecution for misdemeanor possession of a controlled substance, felony possession of less than one gram of cocaine, felony possession of less than one gram of heroin, or possess drug paraphernalia if, again, the person sought medical assistance for an individual experiencing a drug-related overdose by calling emergency services. The person acted in good faith when seeking medical assistance upon a reasonable belief that they were the first to call. The person provided his or her own name to the emergency services. The person did not seek medical assistance during the course of the execution of an arrest warrant, search warrant, or other lawful search. And the evidence for prosecution was obtained as a result of the person seeking medical assistance for the drug-related overdose. If anybody needs to know further about this, uh, the statutes for alcohol, it's 18B-302.2. And for drugs, it's section 90-96.2. Does the immunity still count if you used a fake ID? No. Now, I will say that with the Hell for Help, it says any drugs, right? So the Office of Student Conduct or the university will not pursue a violation of the Code of Student Conduct if you satisfy the Hell for Help requirements. Mm-hmm. The statutes in North Carolina are limited to, again, that misdemeanor possession of a controlled substance, felony possession of less than one gram of cocaine, felony possession of less than one gram of heroin, or possess drug paraphernalia. So it's, it's more narrow on the state level. But the university, it says specifically that, yeah, no student seeking medical treatment for an alcohol or other drug overdose will be charged with a specific violation of the Code of Student Conduct related to the possession and or consumption of alcoholic beverages or any other drug. What's another issue you frequently see students involved in as far as drinking and drugs? Driving under the influence of drugs or alcohol. So DWI, DUI, however you want to refer to it. It's a misdemeanor as well. It is not classified, as we discussed earlier, that A, A1, 1, 2, and 3. DWI has its own sentence structure, level 1 through 5, 5 being the least worst. But what I want people to be aware of is if you are under the age of 21 and you have any alcohol in your system, you can be charged with what we call driving after consuming alcohol. If you are under the age of 21 and you have a blood alcohol content of 0.08 or higher, so 8% or higher, you can also be charged with DWI. So you can be charged with both. If you are convicted of either one of those offenses, you will lose your driving privilege. Uh, You will have a criminal record. Depending on the offense, you might be doing some jail time. And once you are eligible to drive, your insurance rates will be increased by about 400%. So don't do it. Call a cab or an Uber. Walk if it's safe. If it's safe. Otherwise, yeah, get home without driving. Well, there's there's damage to real property and damage to personal property. Real property is land, houses, things like that. Uh, Personal property is just things that you own. For personal property, if the damage is less than $200, it's a class two misdemeanor. If it's more than $200, it's a class one misdemeanor. It's also a violation of the code of student conduct to engage in any act that intentionally or recklessly damages, destroys, or defaces property of the university or another. If you get charged with one of these offenses and you're convicted, you can also be required to pay restitution for the damage that you caused. So they will, they'll drop all charges against the 
student code, does that include the no tolerance policy for drugs in student housing? Well, that's no, that doesn't. That doesn't. In fact, I've seen that problem lately. Student housing has the discretion to decide what they're going to do with these kind of situations. So um, what we have seen is as of late, there has been a... um, a leniency applied. Uh, it used to be that if there was marijuana on the premises in student housing, that it was going to result yeah. in eviction. Now they're having a, a one one opportunity. So if you're if you're found with marijuana in the dorms uh, and it's your first time, then you know you may not get evicted. They still maintain that discretion though. So if you had like an enormous amount yeah. of marijuana, you can probably assume that you're going to be evicted anyways. Oh, it's just okay. that if somebody in student housing has marijuana on the premises. Now it is not a guarantee that you'll be evicted. But if it's your first offense, there is a likelihood that you will not be evicted. This does not play into uh, sorority or fraternities. They have discretion to decide how they're going to act with that. So if it's a dorm, it's a small amount of marijuana. First time, they're probably not going to evict you. If it's a fraternity, that's, that's completely up to sorority and fraternity life. One of the things that we hear quite often in our office is people will say when they when they've been charged with a with a marijuana offense, a paraphernalia offense, um, they'll say, well, it's legal in other states. You're not in those states. Yeah. You're in North Carolina. <laughs> it is illegal here, regardless of how much you have. Even a speck is technically illegal. Anywhere between half an ounce and, or less is still a class three misdemeanor. Mm-hmm. All right. So that that defense is not going to hold up in court. <laughs> Don't tell the judge it's legal in Colorado. Yeah, it's not going to make a difference. Be safe. Be smart. Know your surroundings. Don't accept drinks from strangers. Don't get belligerent. You know, try try to maintain. If you're under the age of 21, just don't drink. Anybody who has any problems with these or any questions with these kind of things, please come to Student Legal Services. We're here for you. If you are a currently enrolled student in NC State, you are eligible for our services, assuming you pay the student fee, which most students do. So, again, you have a problem with this. It's all confidential. Just come and see us. Schedule an appointment. We'll be happy to talk to you about it. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Legal Work. My name is Colleen Keenan Ferguson, aka DJ Thunderthighs at WKNC, and when I'm not podcasting or playing sick tunes for my weekly radio show, The No Dudes Power Hour, Fridays at 3 p.m. on 88.1, I'm listening to 88.1 WKNC. Hello and welcome. I'm Nick Weaver of Eye on the Triangle, and you are listening to the Modest Mouth Review. Well, folks, this week has been absolutely dead in terms of interesting album releases. I mean, I'm sure a lot of good stuff that I haven't heard about is coming out, but in terms of albums I personally care about, the options are slim. So, to rectify this situation, I've decided to tackle a recommendation for an album that came out back in April of this year. That album is Psychopomp by Japanese Breakfast, and we'll be taking a look at it today. But, first, as always, just who are Japanese Breakfast?
Well, according to aboutfood.com, typically a traditional Japanese breakfast consists of steamed rice, miso soup, a protein such as grilled fish or rolled egg omelet, tamagoyaki, and various side dishes. Familiar side dishes may include sukemono, Japanese pickles, nori, dried seasoned seaweed, natto, fermented soybeans, kobachi, small side dishes which usually consist of vegetables, and green salad. The meal portions are adjusted based on appetite and are meant more as a supplement than a full meal. Japanese breakfasts tend not to contain greasy or overly filling foods as are common in a western diet. As for the banned Japanese breakfast, I couldn't find jack about them online, so enjoy that little blurb about non-western dietary habits. For real though, all I really know is that the band centers around Michelle's honor, the lead vocalist and songwriter, with a rotating lineup of other members that accompany her on tour. The band's sound is pretty easily described as lo-fi experimental pop or indie pop, which in itself is basically an oxymoron, but there you go. Japanese breakfast, much like the non-western morning meal, is pretty light and clean. Boasting a fuzzy but overdrive-free sound, this album is pretty far from being your typical rock fare. The vocals are dreamy, with drawn-out decay, intense harmonies, and of course, a healthy dose of echo. Instrumentation is primarily provided by some ethereal-sounding synths and clean guitars that never overpower the vocals. Most songs are mildly upbeat, but slow down towards the end of the album. The last track, Triple Seven, slows the pace down to a crawl and focuses more on a prolonged, wistful beauty than being upbeat and catchy. The first few tracks on the album, by comparison, are actually fairly catchy. Percussion on the album is primarily provided by a muted drum kit in the background with a slightly more noticeable egg shaker or similar small percussion device. Other strong instrumental features are the chimes, short string sections, and frequent use of lo-fi noise ambience. The product of all of this is an intense dreamlike work of beauty. The lyrical work on Psycho Pomp greatly accentuates this and at times outshines the melodic work in the vocals. Make no mistake, the vocals are the key to this album. The vocal focal point, if you will. They are never overshadowed by any other instrument, and on some songs are the only sound present for great lengths of time. It's very pretty and shows a great talent at both songwriting and performance on behalf of Zahner. The only other instrumentation on the album that comes close to rivaling the vocals is the synth work, which comes together with the vocals to create an almost 80s throwback sounding duo. Though this album is far from boring or lacking in variety, it does at times struggle to differentiate itself from the wave of other similar indie acts. The soft-voiced indie girl act is, after all, absurdly pervasive in the indie scene, and without a proper vibe or style, the shtick can wear thin easily. A series of pretty sounds can only go so far without proper emotional backing. Luckily, for the most part, Japanese Breakfast carries through, with only a couple of songs on the album suffering in terms of originality. Overall, I think Psycho Pomp is a fairly solid album. Though it's not perfectly to my taste, I can see easily how fans of the genre would have a field day with this one. On a scale of negative 2 to 7, I give this album a positive 4. A solid entry into the lo-fi indie pop scene. Once again, the name of the album is Psycho Pomp by Japanese Breakfast. Japanese Breakfast, if this review somehow makes it to your ears, for God's sake, please add an artist bio somewhere online. Thanks again for listening in. I've been Nick, though I'm also known as Lens, Plesk, Floatstar, Meerkat, or just that dude who can't dress himself properly in public. I'm less fond of that last one. As always, you can send in a review request by emailing publicaffairs at wknc.org or by sending a tweet to at wknc underscore EOT. Thanks again for listening in, and I'll speak to you all again next time.
You're listening to 88.1 WKNC, and this is Taste of the Triangle. Taste of the Triangle seeks to inform you of the rich food culture in Raleigh and the surrounding area. I'm your host, Will Mayo, and this week I'll be covering the Hibernian. Located on Glenwood South in downtown Raleigh, the Hibernian is a great spot to grab drinks and hang out with friends before having a night on the town. This two-story bar is certainly spacious, yet somehow maintains the feel of a traditional cozy Irish pub. The wooden floors, bar, and paneling might have something to do with this homey feeling, but the primary reason has definitely got to be the warm and welcoming staff. This fun-loving crew always makes sure that their customers are having a great time. In fact, I went there this weekend and most of the employees were dressed up in their Halloween costumes. In the mood for some comfort food, I decided to order some shepherd's pie. To be frank, I've had better. The meat in this pie was a little too soupy for me, but that may be a matter of personal preference. If you're a fish and chips kind of person, my friend ordered the fish and chips and seemed to certainly enjoy herself. The Hibernian Pub is also a good place to go if you're not looking to eat. They feature 12 North Carolina craft beers on tap. All of these can be served on their rooftop outdoor bar. The pub has been known to host Celtic bands if you're in the mood for some live music while you eat. And the rooftop bar as well as rooms inside are available to reserve a private event. Though their food has yet to amaze me, the welcoming atmosphere, killer outdoor seating, and the occasional river dance keep me coming back and make the Hibernian pub yet another enjoyable slice of the Triangle's culinary pie. This has been Taste of the Triangle. Thanks for tuning in.